Hello, this is Manny Ramos, your host of Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. Today on Rise Up, we'll talk about our new PNAA podcast, Rise Up, and we have special guests, Arlene De La Pena and Dr. Jamil Nagtalon Ramos. But first, let me talk about who we are. I'm Manny Ramos, a board member of PNAA and a past president of the Philippine Nurses Association of Central Florida here in Orlando. I'm a professor of nursing at Valencia College in Orlando and an adjunct faculty at William Patterson University. With me today is my co-host, Mindy Ofiana, and our guest for this inaugural episode of Rise Up, Arlene De La Pena and Dr. Jamil Nagtalon Ramos. So, Mindy... Oh, hi. Good How are afternoon. you, Mindy? Oh, good afternoon. My name is Mindy Ofiana, and I'm the Legislative Committee Chair of PNAA and the Corresponding Secretary of PNAA Foundation. I was a past president of our local chapter here, PNA Southern California. And prior to my new retirement, I served as the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Nursing Officer of one of the medical centers at the KPC Health Systems. Uh, before we begin our conversation, uh, there are some people who may not know what podcast is. To put simply, it is actually another method to entertain, to humor, or educate. It is actually um, like a television show wherein there's a, um, many series that is being done and that it is um, shown in as episodes. This publication was made possible by Cooperative Agreement CDC RFA IP212106 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of CDC HHS. With us today as our first guest for this inaugural episode of Rise Up is Arlene De La Pena, a Filipino-American U.S. Army veteran, a registered nurse, producer, actress, filmmaker, wife, and a mother of twins. Arlene graduated from the Washington State University with her Bachelor of Science in Nursing and was commissioned as a second lieutenant Army Nurse Corps officer into the United States Army. She worked as a trauma surgical intensive care unit nurse and obtained the national board certification for critical care registered nurse before deployment to Iraq. Arlene served in the military for almost a decade before transitioning into filmmaking. Arlene held a leadership position in PhilArm Creative, a nonprofit Filipino-American organization promoting a more culturally integrated and diverse entertainment industry. She was a podcast host and producer for Phil Am Creative Voices and has been a producer, actor, and military consultant on various films and media. Arlene is based out of Hawaii and Los Angeles. Arlene, welcome to Rise Up. Welcome, Arlene. Aloha. How are Aloha. you guys? I might have some noisy co-workers. I have the twins with me. They're dying to say <laughs> no, hello. <laughs> no problem. Oh, wow. No problem. So, How are Keanu and Aurora? They are doing wonderful. They're huge now. They are actually turning six months tomorrow. Oh, oh six months already. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Eileen, why did you become a nurse? 
So I became a nurse. It, it's kind of a family tradition. So my mom was a nurse, all her sisters. I have many cousins, um, aunties, uncles, and many relatives who are nurses. So um, I definitely wanted to uh, go into a career that was sustainable to the things I wanted to do with life, which was travel, uh, have a lot of pocket money, and um, you know, save lives. So I became a nurse. Oh, yeah. So you were born here in the USA? Actually, no, I was born in Germany. Oh, oh. wow. Was your mom a um, military nurse too? Uh, she was not. So she went to nursing school in the Philippines and then went uh -huh. to Germany. And so she went there in 1970. And then she met my dad, who was a U.S. Um, soldier. And he was in the army who was stationed in Germany and uh, after six months of knowing each other, they got married. Oh, <laughs> and wow. They had my sister, <laughs> and then I came two and a half years later. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So how is that growing up in, um, in the military? I guess you could say in a military family, I guess, right? Growing up in the military, it was... Um, it was fairly easy because, you know, we didn't really move around a lot. We left Germany when I was about four years old, came to California. Uh -huh. That was the first state that we came to. And then I started uh, kindergarten in Washington State. And I stayed uh -huh. there from kindergarten until um, uh, freshman year of high school. We moved to San Antonio, Texas. And so we mm -hmm. were in Texas. Um, I started college there and then I transferred out to Washington State. So it wasn't too bad for me. We didn't have to, uh, you know, move every few years. But I think moving, going into high school is always really hard. But, you know, I, I mean, my parents, you know, I, I come from a very strict family. My dad was a drill sergeant and my mom was a nurse. So it's like, you know, it was like this. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I was very disciplined, you know, growing up. So when I went on my own for college, I had no problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. I, I can bet. I, I bet you. But there must be some challenges that you have faced when you were studying to become a nurse. Oh, of course. I was doing Army ROTC while I was in college. And so that's one of the three different ways that you can commission as an officer um, in oh. the military. And so, um, you know, a lot of people just thought, oh, she wears a uniform. She has this class. No, I was up at 6 a.m. doing physical uh, fitness with everybody at, uh, mm -hmm. I don't even remember, like 5 a.m. before school started. And, you know, as oh. a college student, you just want to go out, have fun with your friends. But no, I have to get up because I have an inspection or I have to go to the field over the weekend and, and sleep with no tents you know, and, like, <laughs> in the, and survive in the wilderness and play infantry officer, you know. So uh, it, it was a little challenging in that way because I wanted to really, you know, just kind of be with my friends and enjoy that college experience, which I did. But at the same time, I really had to earn my scholarship doing ROTC and nursing school at the same time, because, you know, clinicals, too, it starts very early. Uh -huh. So right. you still have to keep up with your academics and then even your physical fitness. You know, they're they're always looking at all of those things. Oh, I see. So Arlene, after graduating from college and earning your license as a nurse, did you immediately go into the army as a nurse? I did. So uh, 
first things first, you have to pass the NCLEX. And when you do ROTC, if you don't pass the NCLEX, I think it's like by the second or third time, they can actually branch you into anything in the military. So I could end up as infantry or logistics or transportation or military intelligence, anything, right? And so you don't truly become an Army Nurse Corps officer until you pass the NCLEX. So after that, I went to Officer Basic, which was for all of um, uh, medical uh, branches in the Army. And so I went back home to San Antonio, Texas, and I trained, I think, for almost three months. And then after that, I went to my first duty station, which was Washington, uh, D.C., at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. I see. So, you know, um, with the, with covid um, ongoing like that with our like our health crisis. Can you tell us about your decision to get the COVID vaccine? Was it a hard decision for you to do it? So I think the early recommendations because I was um, I was pregnant with the twins during the pandemic, and so let's see, I got pregnant in August, and then the recommendations through uh, the American College of Obstetrics uh, and Gynecology (ACOG). It came out, I believe, in November, December, where they were, they started to uh, let people know, you know, the mRNA uh, COVID vaccine is acceptable. You know, it um, it's deemed safe. And for me, you know, with the military, because we're so highly trained with different um, different types of medicine, with whether it's inpatient in the hospital, outpatient if you're in a rural setting, or even tropical medicine when you're out there you know, wherever, right? So we've been learning about mRNA vaccines for a long time. It was nothing new. And then on top of that, if you're a soldier, you just get in the line and you get vaccinated and you don't even know half the time. <laughs> but you just say, okay, you know, because if it's it's for your protection. Yeah. And a lot of nursing research actually occurs during deployments or during, you know, the military does a lot of research. So I felt like I was uh, very well versed in that realm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the biggest thing for me uh, is because, you know, here I am in second trimester in December, you know, should I get it right away or just wait until third trimester? And because the vaccine rollout didn't really happen until December for um, out here in Hawaii, it's called Kapuna, which are like our senior citizens. You know, they were the first ones, the vulnerable populations. And then uh, and military, of course, gets the vaccines very early, too. So my husband was vaccinated in December. And so um I had to kind of wait my turn until um, my my category was eligible. But as soon as I was eligible, I was able to get it. And by then I was eight months and then nine months pregnant for the first and second dose. So I'm proud to say that the twins do have antibodies as well for the COVID vaccine. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. So Arlene, when you got the vaccine, because I know when I got mine, I mean, I had sore arms. I had a slight fever the, the day after, but after that I was fine. But how was it for you as a pregnant woman when you got it? Uh, were there any side effects? Okay, so I don't know if God just knows I need an easy life, <laughs> but I had no symptoms. None. Both times. So the first time I was actually an inpatient because I was having um, a lot of um, uh, pre-contractions. And so um, and so they were worried that I was going to go into labor. And I don't know if I was just already exhausted from being pregnant with twins or what. But I mean, my arm was sore maybe for like maybe like half a day, six hours, if that. (laughs) But I I literally had no symptoms. And then. Oh, wow. um, I went uh, back in before I got induced um, at nine months uh, Uh to get my second shot. 
And again, I was expecting like, okay, maybe I'll feel really sick or tired or something and nothing. I <laughs> I was very lucky. I felt uh, very free, you know, but again, I don't know if it's my body is just like so overwhelmed with, you know, I'm carrying uh, over 12 pounds of children <laughs> inside me <laughs> or what. But, you know, um, my mom, she did not have any symptoms. She's 70 years old. And then my husband... He said he felt tired, but the next morning he ran 10 miles. So I don't know how tired he really was. Um, but all of us, we ended up getting Pfizer. Oh, okay. I see. That's good. So you were pregnant and then you delivered. Was there any side effect other than they having the anti antibodies for the kids? Did they have any symptoms or anything that you are going to be worried about? Because I don't uh, think got- so. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I I don't think that they're uh, that they had any issues. I mean, um, it, it was kind of a, a very eventful birth for me. I ended up losing a lot of blood, but the twins oh. came out perfect. Their Apgar scores were both very high. Um, you know, they were super healthy. They were huge for twins. Um, they were both over six pounds, and so um, and I delivered at thirty seven weeks and four days. Oh, I see. Right on the normal thing, huh? Uh, this this uh, this was your first pregnancy, right, Arlene, and and the first babies? No, they're number two and number three. Oh, that's and so right. We have that's a seven year old uh, who's in second grade. How is he doing? <laughs> He's, you know, he was so excited to become Kuya, and then he realized he has to share. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's doing really well now. I think at first he was like, you know, because he 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 had been praying for this moment for a really long time. And so he was so happy when they were born. But, you know, in his mind, they were going to be, you know, there and he could play with them very easily. He didn't know that, oh, they sleep for a long time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they eat a lot, you know, and uh-huh. and sometimes they cry, so, you know, it's just a adjustment for him. I see. You know, when when I was in high school, I wanted to become an actress too. And um I am amazed how you are Yeah, but my mom was not for it. <laughs> you are going to be a nurse. That's what my mom said. So when you're talking about your mother, I can remember my mom. May she rest in peace. But anyway, how did you transition from being a staff nurse to um, being an actress. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm like the, the, the cat with nine lives and probably have like three lives left. My whole life is like a lifetime story. Rodney, I know you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so basically when I was on active duty, um, I decided to take the rest of my vacation days and go to uh, weddings on both sides of the family. And so uh, my husband's cousin was getting married in Mexico. We were supposed to be there for three days, then go to San Francisco, meet my family, and then fly back to the Philippines for my cousin's wedding. And I was maid of honor. Unfortunately, you know, on on day two of Mexico, I was in this freak accident during the reception of the wedding. And a rogue wave took over the beach where the reception was at. It picked up um, a metal fire pit. It rode the wave and it hit me and only me. And so uh, my saving grace was that, you know, I had my back to the ocean, which is rule number one. Never turn your back to the ocean. (laughs) And, And so, you know, I'm. My husband and I, you know, were a few feet apart. Vincent, who was two years old at the time, was playing in front of us uh-huh. on the sand and like climbing onto the dance floor, which is like, you know, sitting on the beach. 
And the wave came and I was leaning forward to go get Vincent because the, the wave submerged him under the water. It went above my husband's waist. And we were at the highest point of the beach. So oh, I leaned wow. forward to try to get him. And then something hit me. And I was like, is that hot or cold? It was. It all happened very quickly. But uh, long story short, no one else got burned. I was the only one who got burned. Uh, and so I was flown out of Mexico back to the United States to San Antonio, wow. Texas, to the burn unit where all my friends work. The irony, I'm a burn trauma ICU nurse. <laughs> so oh, like I had the most knowledge God, you know, yeah. uh, when I was there. Anyhow, made it back to San Antonio. Um, I... I ended up getting uh, cared by all of my peers. Um, you know, everybody knew me as the girl on fire in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up learning how to, you know, rewalk. It took me six months. So I got out of the military uh, a month later after my official end date, just so I can get my care. And uh -huh. I... Uh, my husband and I were moving to Los Angeles because he got picked up for fellowship at UCLA. So to answer your question, the reason why I became an actress was because I could not even be a nurse. And I saw what old age would look like. You know, I, my, I had to ask my mom to come back from um, the family reunion. I had to ask her to come back early right after the wedding because I couldn't even do my own wound care. And at the time, my husband, who was still active duty, was stationed in El Paso, Texas, and I was in Washington State. And so I couldn't drive. I couldn't, I couldn't do my own wound care. I couldn't even watch my own son. So when my husband simply asked me, you know, do you want to be a stay-at-home mom? Or, you know, do you want to, uh, you know, go back to the ICU? Or my plan was anesthesia school, actually. You know, yeah. do you want to pursue that? Um, I said, I don't know, you know. And I asked him, if you could be anything, you know, what would you be? And he was like, I would be a surgeon. And I was like, wow, that's boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's already a surgeon. He's a urologist. So, uh huh. And, um, so, Arlene, um, you, you had a leadership position with Film Arm Create, Phil Am Creative. And, uh, when we met in Boston, you were, uh, you and your team were filming Nurse Unseen. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, so Nurse Unseen is a, a documentary about Filipino nurses during the pandemic. Uh, a little secret, I've seen the rough cuts. Ah. <laughs> and I see lots of familiar faces, which is <laughs> awesome. And I just want to thank um, Mary Joy, uh, uh, Dia Garcia, and also Carmina um, Batista, because without them and being able to connect with them, we would not have had the privilege of filming, you know, the leadership conference in Boston with PNAA in, in 2021. And, and that footage is so key to really showing all the different sides of uh, Filipinos and what they've contributed to, um, to uh, nursing and, and, um, you know, it's such an important documentary because nobody has really highlighted Filipino nurses and the contributions. And I think it's about time, especially with the statistic that, you know, at one point at the height of the pandemic, the nurses who have died of COVID, um, Filipinos made up 31.5%, which is huge. And we only make up 4% of the entire nursing uh, population. And mm -hmm. that's about 150,000. And so that's a staggering statistic. And, you know, we started the documentary to answer why. Why are so many Filipino nurses dying? 
So we look forward to, you know, showcasing it to everybody. We just submitted uh, to a very big film festival. So fingers crossed, everybody pray. (laughs) I pray daily that we make it in. (laughs) And so that way, you know, we can really, um, we hope to get picked up and be distributed to um, many different outlets and be able to share everything that we've um, discovered and want to show everybody. Wow, that's awesome to be able to portray, I mean, um, share to the world the kind of nursing we have as Filipino-American nurses. So you are now heavily in the entertainment world. Uh, Just yesterday, I saw your film, Unbalancing Sacrifice. Ah, you saw it! It's eight minutes and 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 uh, apparently it got to number four out of the ten, ten entries. And you became the best actress. So how are you going to merge this life of acting and family life? To be honest, how are you going to balance that? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've been acting for um, basically since 2016. That's when I moved to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I felt kind of a sense of renewal and just trying to figure out what makes me happy. Because with my husband, you know, he said that he's basically doing everything that makes him happy and he wouldn't want to do anything else. So he asked me, well, what would you do? And I told him, well, I saw what old age is like. Maybe I'll just become an actress. And I wasn't entirely serious about it. But, you know, he was like, well, if that makes you happy, then you should absolutely do that. You know, and of course, the practical side of me is like, can I can I make um, a good living off of that? Can we take that financial hit? <laughs> you know? And uh, he was like, "Yeah, you know, we'll figure it out." And and so we did. And um, so to answer your question, um, you know, balancing between acting, being a mom and a nurse, you know, it's kind of just like working the floor, right? You just have to like kind of triage and figure out what's doable and what's not. And I'm a firm believer: if there's a will, there's a way. That's true. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for p- putting a focus on Filipino nurses um, and your work towards uh, promoting a more culturally integrated and diverse entertainment industry. Um, there's got to be a um, an inspiration there, uh, Arlene, for you pushing these things and, and moving this agenda um, for Filipino, Filipino-American community. Yeah. So growing up, I did not grow up around a lot of Filipinos. Often I was one of three in my entire grade um, of Filipinos. And there was really not even a lot of different diverse cultures um, that I went to school with. And so, um, whoops, you okay? (laughs) Like, look at me like, yes, I am. Joke's on you. There you go. Um, So the motivation to really push you know, this agenda of highlighting Filipinos and and people of color, the Asian community really stems from the lack of diversity that I had growing up. And, you know, there's a lot of Filipinos, especially in my age or even slightly younger, that they they don't really pay attention or they could care less. But, you know, it's so important to be proud that you're Filipino and let everybody know that, you know, Filipinos are very special. We're all, I feel like, artistas deep down inside. You know, we're all trained to sing, dance, and, you know, always have lots of parties and potlucks. And I just feel like that's such a wonderful message to share because not every um, community 
really has that sense. And uh, having this Filipino American culture is very different than growing up in the Philippines, you know, and and I have a partly German upbringing, too. And so it's just all very different um, in different sides of the United States and overseas. And I just feel like we have such wonderful stories to tell. We might as well share it and document it and have it live forever. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of what you do and how you transition from a military uh, personnel to being a mother. I, I mean, nursing personnel as, an, as a nurse, right? In military, a mother, and now an actress. So uh, to an end, and you know, we have a, how many more minutes do we have? A few more minutes. What do you think would be your advice for expectant mothers out there who needs to decide on having vaccination? So I think for the mothers out there, you know, it, there's a lot of real research that you should um, look into. I would definitely talk to your healthcare providers and ask for the specific journals, not just what you read on social media. Um, you know, there, I think it's important to understand how these vaccines work and make the best decision for you because not everybody um, is really eligible for the vaccine. For example, if you have cancer or if you have other like different types of comorbidities and you get pregnant, of course, like there's always a risk. So, you know, talk to your medical team and make a sound decision because if you're able to help protect your babies, you know, without them having to directly get the vaccine because it's not offered to them yet, you know, we might as well do it, you know, save, save the people around you because I didn't just do it for myself. I did it because our seven-year-old son, he is not able to get vaccinated as of uh -huh. uh, yet. You know, my, my mom, you know, she has comorbidities. She's older. I, I want to protect her. And of course my husband. And so it's truly a, a way to tell everybody that how much you love them and that you care for them. And we can do it all together if we, you know, look into it and make the right decisions for ourselves. Well, we thank you very much, Arlene, for sharing that precious time. I know Aurora there in Kiana are like, hey, look at me too, pay attention. But uh, it's so nice to meet them here. I mean, I, I do see them in Facebook. Uh, but yeah, uh, and hopefully we get to see you again at the next convention. Thank you again for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Thank you so much for having Thank me. You. And you, I hope to see you guys in Hawaii soon. Yes. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Arlene. Thank you, Arlene. Nice Thank you. meeting you. Nice meeting you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And now let me introduce you our second guest of this inaugural episode of Rise Up. Dr. Jamil Nagtalon Ramos is an assistant professor of nursing at Rutgers University, the State University of New Jersey. Her research interests have been fueled by her clinical expertise in women's health and her cultural roots. As a third-generation nurse born and raised in the Philippines, she's passionate about exploring the Filipino-American experience and investigating sexual reproductive health disparities. She's the recipient of the Provost Fund for Research Catalyst Grant Award for her research on the sexual and reproductive health of Filipino-American college students. Dr. Nagtalon Ramos is a board-certified women's health nurse practitioner in postpartum care and well-being, contraception, lactation, and sexual health. 
In 2018, she was inducted as a fellow of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners for her outstanding contribution in advancing nurse practitioner clinical practice and education. She was recently a Philippine Nurses Association of New Jersey Excellence Awards honoree for Nurse Education of the Year. Dr. Nagdalon Ramos is an award-winning author of Maternal Newborn Nursing Care, Best Evidence-Based Practices, and has co-authored the Midwifery and Women's Health Nurse Practitioner Certification Review Guide, a vital so resource for midwifery and women's health nurse practitioner students and new grads. All her books combined have sold over 12,000 copies worldwide. So as we start uh, this uh, second segment of our inaugural um, podcast of Rise Up, I'm going to bring up that the CDC has issued its strongest guidance to date against COVID-19. The latest guidance on COVID-19 vaccination is recommended for all people 12 years and older, including people who are pregnant, breastfeeding, trying to get pregnant now or might become pregnant in the future. The guidance comes as more than a quarter million cases of COVID in pregnant women have been reported, 22,000 of whom were hospitalized. 161 pregnant women died, according to the CDC. Yet, less than a third of pregnant women have been vaccinated. It's well established that pregnancy is also considered an underlying health condition that are at risk for complications of COVID. Overwhelmingly, these complications have occurred in women who were unvaccinated. So welcome, uh, Jamil. How are you? How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very excited to, you know, have this conversation with you all. And um, especially in this inaugural podcast, I'm very excited <laughs> to be part of this. That's good. So it, um, nice to meet you. You know, I've not, I've not met you before, Dr. Nectalon Ramos, but why did you want to become a nurse? Huh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I teach right now um, students from, you know, undergrad students, and that's a conversation we have all the time about um, why did you want to, in fact, their first paper is why did you want to become a nurse? Uh -huh. um, I actually knew that I wanted to be a healthcare provider. I just didn't know exactly what when I was growing up. Uh, my grandma is a nurse. Um, and she actually, um, Lydia Venzon, she was um, a dean of a nursing school in the Philippines. Um, when I visited her in 2017, she was in her 90s and wow. she was attending a nursing conference and presenting at a nursing conference. Oh, <laughs> and I said, wow. Grandma, can we visit you? He's like, she was like, nope, I'm at a conference right now. I'm busy. <laughs> Um, so I have grown up with my grandma visiting her at Kirino Hospital. She was the um, yes. head nurse there. And um, I remember, um, you know, going before HIPAA, um, going to <laughs> her office and she would bring me to, you know, all the different wards and visit patients. Um, so I feel like it's in my DNA. And same thing with my mother. She's also a nurse. She's still a nurse, actually, at Peds um, a pediatric ICU at St. Joseph's hospital in Patterson, New Jersey. And she's hoping to retire next year. She keeps saying that every year though. So, <laughs> um, but I feel like it's in my DNA. And so, um, my freshman year at Rutgers, I, um, 
I decided to become um, a nurse and, you know, go into nursing. And um, I knew that that was something that, you know, a career that would be very fruitful for me, um, that I can really um, help other people. Um, and again, I've all, I've grown up in that environment and I've seen how much my mom and my grandmom have sacrificed to help others. And um, it was truly inspiring to see that. So, uh, Dr. Nagtalan Ramos, uh, what made you um, go into this field of specialization? I mean, nursing is a wide, um, you know, yeah. field to be in. But why did you decide to specialize uh, for women's health? Women's health yeah. um, what What made you go um, choose that field? Yeah. Um, so I always um, knew that I wanted to go in a specialty. Um, that was helping women. I didn't know exactly what that would be. I knew I wanted to be a healthcare provider. I knew I wanted to help women in the community. Um, and becoming a women's health nurse practitioner um, combined both of that. And so when I was a senior in college, I um, did a rotation, my leadership rotation in a women's health um with a women's health provider, um, one of my mentors at school. And we did um, home visits for high-risk pregnant patients. And I just said, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life is to take care of women, specifically women um, in pregnancy, um, women during that um, early part, early uh, early years, I would say. So um uh, being able to provide sexual and reproductive health. And um, it was something that I felt very, um, something that woke me up in the morning and really mm. to this day, you know, 20 years in, still very much um, have the passion to do that. I see. So I, with the expertise you have with women's health and you know about um, vaccination hesitancies, mm. so what should pregnant women um, need to know if they're hesitant to receive yeah. it? It's a good question. I think we need to um, actually take a step back and, and um, acknowledge that women um, during pregnancy want to do the best for their babies. Mm -hmm. And they just want to make sure that they have the healthiest of pregnancies, that they're going to have a healthy newborn. And so I think part of that is the hesitance for this vaccine um, because a, a lot of my patients, a lot of my colleagues or, you know, friends and neighbors and other moms who text me and email me or call me up and say, um, I don't know about this. I can't decide whether or not I should get this vaccine. Um, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of different reasons, right, that we hear. There's not enough re research. It's brand new. Um, you know, it was too quick all these different things that that they name um, that could possibly um, uh, contribute to their hesitancy um, getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So how I approach that is I give them the facts. And, um, you know, as a nurse, right, we do shared decision making. Mm -hmm. I present you the facts and I will give you the risks versus benefits. I'll give you, you know, what we know about the vaccine, which... Um, Manny had said earlier that um, only a third of pregnant patients, uh, of pregnant, um, yeah, pregnant patients have been vaccinated. Um, that means like most of the pregnant people out there 
are unvaccinated and they're at a higher risk of getting sick if they have COVID. So there's um, they're at a 70% increased risk of death um, when they have COVID and being pregnant. So those are the facts that I tell my patients. Um, and again, anyone else who, you know, um, on social media <laughs> um, or again, neighbors or mom friends that um, that text me and say, I'm pregnant or I, my friend is pregnant or, um, you know, or my wife is pregnant. What do I do? How do I make a decision getting the vaccine? I see. Now, um, Dr. Nagtalon Ramos, you're also a lactation consultant. And uh, this podcast, uh, our viewers won't be just nurses. So I'm sure that, you know, their family, perhaps, and friends would be joining them when they watch this podcast. So for for our audience, could you tell us, there will be two questions I have. Uh, could you tell us what is a lactation consultant? And the second question is, for the women who are breastfeeding, should they be worried about getting the COVID vaccine? Yeah. Um, so I'm a lactation consultant, which means that um, I'm an IBCLC, an internationally board certified lactation consultant. Um, so I feel very strongly about um, being able to provide the best services for my patients and um, having that knowledge and tools and being certified as a lactation consultant. Um, I wanted to have, um, I guess, that uh, that knowledge to be able to provide for my patients, especially being, being Filipino-American. Um, I feel very strongly that as a lactation consultant, as a women's health nurse practitioner, I would be able to provide that service for Filipino-American and increase our, um, our health, our sexual and productive health overall. Um, and that's why as a researcher, that's my main focus of my research is sexual and reproductive health um, in Filipino-American women. Um, so as a lactation consultant, I'm able to provide breastfeeding support for patients, um, the patients that I see at the hospital. So I'm actually a hospitalist, which means I primarily work at the hospital. Um, and it's a um, position that... Um, we developed 17 or 18 years ago with um, an attending physician that I worked with. Um, I was one of the first two in the department. And so we created this position to, you know, primarily take care, manage the care of women in the hospital. And while they're immediately postpartum there, they need um, lactation help. And so I wanted to be able to provide that comprehensive and holistic care for my patient. Um, we do have lactation consultants in the department who are there, um, you know, most, um, I think 24 seven now we have coverage, um, but I still wanted to be able to, when I'm seeing a patient, be able to, um, again, uh, take care of them comprehensively um, and be able to support them, answer their questions um, and be, you know, a, a better provider that way. Um, with your second question regarding breastfeeding and the COVID vaccine, we uh, definitely the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, that's our professional organization for women's health. Um, they recommend that women who are breastfeeding, again, preg uh, pregnant, before pregnancy, pregnant, postpartum, breastfeeding women um, or patients should get the vaccine. Um, we know that there's evidence of being able to um, 
provide that antibodies from the vaccine to the baby um, by uh, by getting the vaccine as pregnant as a pregnant per, um, person and through lactation. So. Um, there's many different, you know, if someone is not uh, comfortable um, getting the vaccine during the preg- during pregnancy, again, we have that conversation again um, in the postpartum period. So in our hospital at Penn Medicine, we actually offer um, the COVID vaccine immediately after having the baby during that postpartum period prior to leaving the hospital. So it's just another way of getting, um, providing that service to the patient. So think about a new mom, right? The new mom just had a baby, um, you know, if they go home for them to think about, let me schedule this vaccine. Let me make arrangements. Maybe they have other kids to, for a babysitter, you know, when they, you know, um, make arrangements for transportation to come back to the hospital. Um, they may not want to bring their, their infant back to, um, you know, to in, out in public. So they may be hesitant to bring their infant out um, to make that, you know, to um, get a vaccine. So having that service prior to leaving the hospital, um, it's actually, you know, a really good way to provide the vaccine for postpartum um, patients. Um, When we give that first dose, we schedule them for the next dose so that it's already scheduled even before they go home. Um, So lots of different, again, points of time that we can do that. And we definitely recommend getting the vaccine during um, that lactation period. Ah, I see. So um, this vaccine costs fertility problems in women or men? That's a good question and a very, very common question that um, I have heard all over social media. Um, I have heard from many patients who have asked us um, whether or not it causes infertility. There is no evidence for that. And actually, again, um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, um, those are um, pri- uh, the premier organizations for women's health have recommended the vaccine um, for all women, especially women who are thinking about getting pregnant. There's no evidence that it causes infertility um, later in life. In fact, my um, 14-year-old uh, daughter, you know, I as soon as she was eligible for the eligible for the vaccine, you know, I signed her up, you know, we were in line. Um, and when I posted it on Facebook, I got, you know, a flood of messages from um, other friends, mom friends and, you know, colleagues and a lot of people who were um, asking that question and were concerned about um, fertility issues um, in the future. So I, I said to them, you know, um, I, I'm very confident about the recommendation Um uh, there's no evidence that it, that causes um, the vaccine causes infertility. Oh, good to know. So, Doctor Talon Ramos, for the patients that uh, you have seen, um, mm-hmm. what is the atmosphere there, and what has been, mm-hmm. uh, especially to those uh, for those who haven't received the vaccine, um, mm-hmm. h- how are they receiving this? Um, mm-hmm. When you talk to them about getting a vaccine, mm-hmm. how has that experience been? Yeah. Um, So it's interesting because we test all our patients coming into the hospital um, for COVID. Um, We do a COVID test on all our patients coming in. And so I actually have had, you know, a 
group of patients, right, that are asymptomatic. They come into the hospital, they're just thinking they're, um, you know, they're pregnant, they're going to have a baby, and then they're in and out, you know, have their baby in and out of the hospital. Um, but then they test positive, and they're completely surprised. And, you know, they're like, wait, I don't have symptoms. How can I have COVID? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have the conversation with them, actually. And I say to them, oh, you know what? I remember this one patient that said, I don't understand. My whole family is so surprised that when I told them I'm positive, you know, when I came in the hospital, they tested me and I was positive. And she said, my whole family was so surprised because I isolated myself for, you know, the last, um, you know, month of pregnancy. And um, I, you know, I isolated myself. I didn't go anywhere. And so I'm surprised that I have COVID. And I said to her, okay, so did you have a baby shower? And she said, yeah, I had a baby shower at my house, right? And I said, okay, so did all, you know, did you have visitors come to your house for your baby shower? And she said, yeah, of course, it's a baby shower. And so, you know, I think sometimes um, we do take precautions, but we're not thinking, you know, in a, in a bigger way, right, of, okay, so she didn't have a, you know, grand baby shower at some restaurant, but then she had a baby shower at home, and then all these people came over and possibly exposed her to COVID. Nice. So, you know, having that conversation and taking that opportunity with our patient, with my, with that particular patient and saying, okay, so, you know, you're um, thinking about that, right? Exposure could happen at any point in time. So um, when people want to visit your baby at the, um, you know, at home, mm -hmm. um, yes, you're not bringing your baby outside in the public, but think about also the people that could possibly be visiting your baby at home right. and, um, you know, and protecting yourself and your baby, especially that first month, right? When the baby's mm -hmm. immune system, like, it, um, uh, that immunity is not completely uh, well formed yet. Um, you want to protect your infant as much as possible. So nice. you don't want to expose the infant in, um, in public in crowded spaces. Um, and also thinking about, again, that, that balance of mental health, you know, so if they live in a place where they could go outside, perhaps, you know, walk around the block, if it's, you know, it's a safe community and it's not, um, it's not crowded, or maybe go to a park and away from people wearing masks, um, may, you know, they can still possibly do that. But going to a birthday party, right? We're Filipinos. So I know in, um, in my family, my husband has 38 first cousins. Um, so we have a, there's a party every weekend, you know, it used to be before COVID, right? Yeah. Um, and so it was, I'm, st I'm still very cautious in different ways um, in terms of, you know, being able to attend those parties or attend gatherings with family members um, and actually saying, you know, actually my, um, you know, my um, healthcare provider told me that I should be protective of my family. And in our community, you know, we're a very coll collectivistic community, right? We mm -hmm, want to be yeah. able to say like, you know, pakikisama, right? Mm -hmm, like you want to be right. like, yes, of course I'm going to be there, right? But actually saying like, actually, you know, um, because of COVID, I can't bring my baby or I can't be there because I don't want to expose myself. I have a newborn. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I want I want to go back to the conversation uh, related mm-hmm. to your lactation nurse and mm-hmm. uh, for women who are who decides to be to breastfeed when they mm-hmm. leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your success rate in making sure that they get their COVID um, vaccine? Oh, at the hospital, you know what? I don't have those numbers mm-hmm. um, at my particular hospital. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember recently what our numbers are. Um, but we do offer it. So it's part of our discharge, um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. in, in different levels. So, um, the provider, so, um, the medical team, the residents and attendings, and then the nurse practitioners and the physician assistants, when we see our patients, um, even at admission, when they uh-huh. come to the hospital, right. um, we test them for COVID. And then we also, uh, we say to them that vaccine is, um, is offered for you before you go home. And then the nurses also, um, during their discharge teaching, talk about having the COVID vaccine available for them. Um, so it's actually a really cool process that, you know, we've developed in the last month or so, I believe. Um, so I don't know if we have numbers yet because it's um, fairly new um, service that we provided in our hospital. So it's kind of neat, though, um, that uh, that it's something that, again, um, we were one of the first units in the hospital that were able to offer that before discharge. I know. I just tried to remember when we don't, without the COVID yet, when I was a CNO, we were having a hard time um, convincing uh, mothers to breastfeed. Mm. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to see how um, the correlation of now it's COVID, how are they going to get their vaccines? Anyway. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Nectalan Ramos, uh, what do we know of those uh, pregnant women Mm-hmm. Who's uh, who have become infected with COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some have ended up in ICUs. How mm-hmm. how is that situation? Yeah, yeah. So um, if you are pregnant and you um, get COVID during pregnancy, you have a higher risk for preterm delivery. There's a higher risk for admission. Um, to the NICU of your newborn. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, an increased infant mortality and um, the di- oh, wow. disease may be sev- more severe. Um, so it's not just you that may be affected, but your baby might be admitted to the NICU for a longer period of time. Um, again, mortality and morbidity is higher. Um, there's a twofold increased risk um, of being admitted to an ICU if you are pregnant with covid so um, thinking, you know, the medical part alone is already distressing, but thinking about, you know, the, the again, we're nurses, right? So we think about the holistic approach, um, how that affects mother-baby bo- bonding, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone right. is severely sick with COVID, um, that baby may not be able to visit mom. Um, and thinking about, again, logistics. So usually our nursery is in a different part of the hospital than the ICU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then all thinking also about the team and how that affects the team. So a nurse will be assigned to the mom who, um, who you know, has COVID. But then, you know, we have to coordinate having the baby visit mom, um, if that is even possible, Um, And then having um, a support person, who's that support person and who will, you know, will they be able to visit baby and visit mom because it's a COVID unit? There's lots of logistics involved. Um, You know, when you think about the real um, nuances of um, 
having a mom with COVID in the ICU or even having a mom who has COVID and is really sick in a postpartum unit. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of stressors um, mm-hmm. that happen for the family, for the family unit, um, and also the nurses taking care of them. You know, we want to make sure we're taking really good care of our patients. Um, but we think about, um, you know, the pregnant po- or postpartum patient and the baby as a dyad. Um, you know, because uh, if a mom has um, is obese or has asthma, has diabetes, they're um, an even inc- inc- more uh, more risk for disease when they have COVID and they're pregnant. So someone who may not be um, at a high risk, you know, of getting COVID, um, but once they are pregnant and they have COVID, they're in a different level of risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just an, a healthy adult getting COVID may not be, um, may, may not be as high of a risk um, in terms of morbidity and mortality, but once you're pregnant, you're in a different level. Wow. Uh, my next question to you, Dr. Um, Dr. Talon Ramos, is more not granular as it relates to women's health, but it's mm-hmm. more of a 40,000 feet about research. Mm. So I just want to ask you about uh, implementation of research into practice. Mm-hmm. You know, did you have any uh, challenges or opportunities uh, with that process? Mm. Um, yeah, so not um, not related to COVID, but um, currently um, we have this really neat program, um, texting program that we have that one of my colleague, colleagues, Dr. Adi Hirschberg, had um, done the research a few years back. Um, we were seeing that we had a lot of patients who were not returning for their postpartum follow-up visit. So, which means after, their, after they have their baby, they go home and we want them to follow up in four to six weeks, especially those who have blood pressure issues. And we have many patients who have blood, bre- blood pressure issues, whether it's chronic hypertension or gestational hypertension. So she did this research on um, uh, doing a texting program, which means um, instead of a patient coming back to us, again, when we talked about you know, someone who's going home and having them come back, thinking about logistics, um, newborn baby, other kids at home, access to coming back. Um, she did the research in having giving them a blood pressure cuff to take their take their own blood pressures at home and texting us their results, um, and it goes into this um, computer in the system, and uh, it tracks all their blood pressures. If there's any blood pressure that was concerning, they get followed up, and so it's kind of neat, um, you know, thinking about innovation and how um, our patients are very savvy with texting and using that as a tool. Um, you know, uh, backed by evidence mm-hmm. to have them follow up that way. And also giving the patients their own agency to be able to track their own health, right? Take their own blood pressures um, and uh, be part of that um, not, instead of just a passive um, passenger, I guess, of their health, mm-hmm. but instead they're active members um, of that whole, you know, system and unit. I see. Thank you. 
Well, we thank you for your time and expertise, uh, Dr. Nagtalon Ramos. I'm sure, you know, those were the most frequent questions that we've been getting about um, the COVID vaccine, especially in that uh, population uh, of women. So thank you. I hope and I'm sure that with the discussions we had today, we were able to clear up a lot of those um, questions that they had. And, and the hope is uh, that, you know, we could reduce that uh, hesitancy to get that vaccine and make sure that um, they will not be that they will be healthy so uh, thank you and uh, that is uh, all that we have for this episode I want to thank our guests Dr. Jamil Nagtalon Ramos and Arlene De La Pena and my co-host Mindy Ofiana our director and producer Rodney Cahudo and our executive producers PNAA president Dr. Maria Garcia Dia and our PNAA executive director Carmina Bautista. Join us every Wednesday here on Rise Up. Until then, keep on rising. See you next week.